This is Toronto Today on TSN 1050. Break it down. Oh, yeah. Getting a little pumped for hour two. Little Degeneration X coming in. This is it. This is the hour, guys, that I make my move to the booth on Monday nights. I kill it with Wade Keller from the PW Torch later on in this hour. And I could end up sitting beside Michael Cole on Monday nights for Raw. I can feel it. I think it could happen. I really do. I wasn't joking with Weeks earlier about him and I really not caring about golf anymore either. That you know, His passion is running and curling. And my passion's wrestling. So... You know, if this golf thing doesn't work out, we we got really good fallbacks. So this 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 Wade Keller thing coming out, coming up at twelve uh, forty is big, real big, for this guy. So that's still coming up later in the show, and we're gonna switch gears a little, talk a little NFL before we get to that. I'm a huge NFL guy, love the NFL, my favorite team sport. I'd actually rather watch. You know, I don't know, is it the gambling? Maybe it's the gambling. I don't know. But even if I don't have any lollies or any action on anything, I can still sit down and watch two NFL teams play football that I have zero interest or rooting interest or even if I don't have money on the line, I will sit down and watch the Vikings against the Saints. Or I will sit down and watch the Bills and the Dolphins. I don't care what the... I love NFL football. Maybe it's the fact that we only have 16 weeks and everything matters. And every other sport I feel, including golf, there's almost too much. I can't stay engaged with 160 games of anything. Like, I just, I can't. And even though I'm a massive Leaf fan, I don't, you know, I think I watch probably 30 Leaf games a year. Maybe 35. Obviously, if there's a playoff run, that's a different story. We might get one of those this year. But with the NFL... Man, week one rolls around, and I treat it. I'm treating it like it's week sixteen. Like it, it just, and I think that's probably the reason why. Now the NFL has pushed the envelope a little bit over the years with you know Thursday night football and Saturday night football, etc. But in the big picture of the world we live in, where we provide content now on every platform, twenty four seven. The NFL is maybe the only league left in the planet that still recognizes that less can be more. That maybe not completely saturating the marketplace with content 24-7 builds up the value of what you've got to offer. And for the first time in a long time, there is a lot of teams, a lot of teams that think they've got a real shot. Yeah, Parody's been in the NFL for a while now. We get it. But I mean, real shot. You know, the Pats always come out as betting favorites. You know, the Eagles are going to be there. Quarterback issues in Philadelphia. Foles now hurt after an awkward fall the other night. Wentz is not going to be ready by the looks of it for week one. So what's the quarterback situation in Philadelphia? Even though they're right there in line as Super Bowl favorites and... We know how hard it is to repeat, but quality football team. NFC just looks super strong. There are great stories everywhere. Looking forward to the 49ers, see if they can continue this hot streak that they ended on last year with Jimmy G. Under center, pumped about that as a big 49er fan. And just south of the border here in Buffalo, 
The Bills, they don't have a starter right now. That is a wide open competition right now in Buffalo, as we're led to believe anyway. And the NFL senior writer for the Athletic Buffalo, Tim Graham, is going to join us. And when Tim does join us, we'll start there. We'll start in Buffalo. Who's got the lead right now under snap to start week one for the Buffalo Bills? They got a lot of great young talent that seem to emerge in training camp. But who's going to be under snap? You know, they went to the playoffs last year. It was a big year for Buffalo to get into the playoffs, finally. Can they sustain any kind of momentum? Can they keep this moving forward? So we'll certainly get into that with Tim. Obviously, a very hard division to make it to the postseason and having to play the Patriots, who are likely... You know, still the Pats. I keep waiting to wake up one morning, and and this is the year that Tom Brady's old. You know, kind of like I always relate it to a goaltender in hockey. Goaltenders can win the Vesna Trophy, and one year you can wake up, and they're just old overnight, and the reflexes are gone, and they can't play the position anymore. And I'm kind of waiting for that with Tom Brady, and it never happens. I know he treats him, you know, incredible condition, and his, his diet, and his... His, his workout regimen and, and how you know they've kind of designed it for longevity. I get it. But at some point, we're going to wake up and Tom Brady's going to be an old man and look like Peyton Manning did in his last season where the duck's just falling out of the sky like someone shot it. When is that year? I'm hoping we don't see it, to be honest with you. I'm hoping that Tom walks away when he's still Tom Brady. So we'll get into that a little bit as well because covering the Buffalo Bills, obviously you see a lot of the New England Patriots. So let's start with the Bills right now. Joining me from the Athletic Buffalo, their senior NFL writer, covers all the NFL, including uh, Buffalo Bills. Tim Graham joining me now. Tim, thanks so much for taking the time to do this with me here in Toronto today. No, thank you. Uh, I'm actually at my mother's uh, out in Amish country, just south of Cleveland right now. The Bills have the Browns game. So let's hope that uh, somewhere somebody's, uh, you know, churning butter fast enough to keep this cell signal going because I'm, I've already noticed they're breaking up. So I apologize in advance if we... Uh, if we if we uh, have a bad connection. No worries. You sound great to me. Let, let's start there in Bill's country, because I was just discussing off the top that there's a wide-open competition. That's what we're being led to believe for quarterback for week one of the Bill's opener. Uh, where we stand right now, who has the edge? Well, that's a great question. Uh, I don't believe it is truly open three-way competition, because I don't, or at least... Let's keep in mind there are three preseason games left, so there's a lot of time between now and the in the home opener or the uh, regular season opener. Um, Josh Allen really hasn't gotten a fair shot. Yeah, he takes his rotations with the first team offense in practice. Uh, he was clearly the third team quarterback in the preseason opener. We'll see how he gets slotted in tonight uh, against the Cleveland Browns. Um, but here's the thing. He can be good enough to win it, and the, and the coaches are putting him in that position to do it. Um, like a lot of uh, good coaches or good organizations will do with a rookie, they're saying, okay, go out there and win it, as opposed to we're going to put you in position to set you up for it. So A.J. McCarron and Nathan Peterman, I say they're about co 
first team guys right now. Uh, as and again, right now, uh, both played really well in the preseason opener. Uh, Nathan Peterman completed his first nine passes of the game. Uh, there was an interception on his last play, but it was bobbled by the uh, running back uh, coming out of the backfield. Uh, so. Uh, and he had a beautiful touchdown pass to Kelvin Benjamin, probably the, the prettiest play of the game. And then A.J. McCarron comes in in the second quarter and engineers a 15-play drive that took eight and a half minutes off the clock on his first drive. They kick a field goal on that one. But then they come right back, and because so much time was drained off the clock, A.J. McCarron's next possession is a two-minute drill, and they scored a touchdown on that. So A.J. McCarron showed in his one quarter of play pretty much all you need or want to see out of a quarterback. He managed two drives and situations that you really need to excel at, taking time off the clock, game management, and then, all right, let's go, quick strike. Um, And so that set up the Bills for touchdown right before halftime in that glorious situation that all coaches want, getting the ball out of halftime so they can do a two-for-one, something that the Bills haven't been able to do. Uh, in the past. So it's a long-winded way of saying it's anybody's job. So it's open in that regard, absolutely. But Josh Allen's going to have to do something to prove that he uh, that it's clearly his. And he has the ability to do that. Uh, he's got that rocket arm. Uh, he wowed the crowd. Obviously, the fans are behind Josh Allen uh, winning the job. Uh, Nathan Peterman and A.J. McCarron are kind of dull. They've had their chance. Nathan Peterman, they still remember him for the five-interception game last year. Um, I should um, – let me correct myself. Five-interception half. Uh, <laughs> it, was, it wasn't even a five-interception game. It was one half. He threw five interceptions. Um, Karen's had his chance. He's been in the league for a few years, so fans really want to see uh, Josh Allen. And I think – the coaches would want him to win that job because that means he's really good, and they want their first uh, the their pick to uh, to be really good. But uh, I think they're they're at least keeping the reins on him just enough that it's it's not quite an open competition, but he's he can do it. So considering all the question marks, but the fact that there's a lot of great young talent emerging in Buffalo in different positions, not just at the quarterback position. What's the level of optimism like for this season in Buffalo? Is it, is it being contained? Are they excited? Or are they seeing this more two, three years down the road where, in their minds, this excitement's going to finally come to fruition? I, I, think that, I like to think that I have a good uh, finger on the pulse of the Bills fans after my years of uh, living there and working there. And I really sense um, healthy skepticism in that they they got their playoff uh, drought ended last year after 17 years. They don't have to worry about that. They're not carrying around that burden anymore. So this is almost like house money season. And they, I, I think that Bills fans are the playoffs this year, as long as it is a strong developmental season with, uh, Josh Allen showing some big signs. I think that the fans would get uh, agitated if it's a, all right, let's say it's a 6-10 and 10 season um, with A.J. McCarron uh, would probably be some grumblings. If it's a 6-10 and 10 season but Josh Allen has started uh, 10 of the games and, you know, showed his flashes and obviously he's going to make his rookie mistakes, then I think they'd feel a lot better with it. Um, but you're right. There's talent all over the place. They do have a strong defense. 
they have one of the best defensive backfields in the NFL. They already did, and then they added Vontae Davis at cornerback. So he comes from Indianapolis. He's been a pro bowler before uh, with Miami also, and uh, he's been a great player. Now he's struggled last couple of seasons, injuries mostly. Uh, if he can uh, rebound to any kind of – uh, um, previous form, then you're looking at an elite defensive backfield. Uh, uh, Tremaine Edmonds gets overlooked a lot. He's the other first round rookie. He's the 13th overall pick. Uh, he's only 20. In fact, he was 19 when they drafted him. He turned 20 after the draft. Uh, he has a chance to be defensive rookie of the year. He's that talented. He's he's just a monster at middle linebacker, and they're pretty good along the defensive front. They're not as loaded as they used to be when they had Marcel Darius and Mario Williams and those guys, but this is a strong defense that got a little bit better. And if they can find a way to get it, <clears throat> excuse me, to get after the quarterback, they, they bring in Trent Murphy who had, uh, you know, he's, he's got a bunch of sacks with Washington. He's coming off a season ending uh, knee injury from last year season. He was out for the full year and Shaq Lawson, who, the first-round pick under Rex Ryan that a lot of people thought was a bust and, you know, typical Rex Ryan, Doug Whaley pick. Um, but he's had a great camp uh, in competing with Trent Murphy. So if those two guys can push each other on the other side of Jerry Hughes, uh, who's been a good pass rusher uh, for the past few years, they can get after the quarterback, then I think you're looking at a, the type of defense that if your quarterback do the games – uh, the Bills can pick up a lot of wins just based on their defense. We're with Tim Graham. He is the NFL senior writer for The Athletic. You can follow him on Twitter at ByTimGraham. That's at ByTimGraham. Tim, excluding the Eagles, that's a different situation where you have a Super Bowl, Super Bowl MVP that, that is not going to be your starter technically. There's obviously injuries there right now. Excluding the Eagles, a lot of money spent on quarterbacks this offseason and a lot of maneuvers with guys that really have very limited playoff success, Minnesota, Washington. What's the most intriguing story for you in a quarterback situation heading into this season? Boy, that's a great question. I, I'm, you know, what's going on in Denver and Minnesota are the two, you know, they almost swapped guys, their depth chart anyway, you know, Osweiler and, uh, you know, Kirk Cousins coming in, and you just have all these different. I think that Minnesota and Denver are two teams, and of course, Minnesota was good last year. Uh, and then they make the wholesale change at quarterback. And of course, now we have trickle down effect as I'm talking about it. Now you, you wonder, you know, Teddy Bridgewater, should he be starting right out of the gates? He's, he's gotten off to a good start with his preseason. Um, you know, th- there's just this this trove of quarterbacks coming out of Minnesota and they say, you know what, we're going to go some other totally different direction. Uh, and they, they were really good last year. And then Denver has had this black hole at quarterback and, um, and I'm paying attention to Denver and I hate to keep bringing it back to Buffalo, but um, it's a, a career that I've followed since he was in college. And that's Chad Kelly, who was Mr. Irrelevant last year, uh, did not play a single down because of uh, injuries uh, and they drafted him knowing that he was he was hurt and had a wrist issue and a knee issue. And he has been electrifying for Denver. Now, keep in mind that that's battling for the number two spot in Denver. But, but anyway, you asked me a question. I think that those two situations, Minnesota and Denver, that entire depth chart at quarterback to me for each of those two teams is fascinating. Um, and to see uh, 
we know who the starters are going to be in each spot, but there's so much talent and and or NFL experience on both of those depth charts that I think that those teams, if they get into a situation where they lose a quarterback, whether it be for a game or a month, um, those uh, those are teams that could still be in the hunt, and they also have f- fantastic defenses. You know, Denver, if not for their uh, their defense, uh, they they would be irrelevant, uh, and they've been able to survive at least a little bit because of uh, their lack of uh, quarterback play. And then Minnesota, well, when you're able to uh, when you're able to get to the playoffs with uh, with the quarterback play that they had last year, I mean, it was it was a great story. But uh, the defense is what carried the day. So. Uh, help me out. Is there another one you want to talk about? <laughs> but I'm just so focused on those two. I, I haven't uh, brought. I haven't been able to even uh, consider another. No, to me, I got to be honest with you. To me, it's the Minnesota situation is that is it is completely mind boggling. And and I kind of thought that that's where you might go because you're right. You're coming off a season that almost saw you in the Super Bowl. So Tim, before I let you go, I got to ask you though because uh, you know we like to make fun of fake news these days, and I'm starting to think that you know a lot of this stuff out of the Belichick Brady. You know, here we are again, the soap opera where the season's here, and you know everybody likes to, to write their stories. This guy's been together for how many years now? 15 years or so. At some point, there's ups and downs in working relationships. This is all fake news, right? This, there's nothing really to talk about here, correct? Well, it, I, I think I agree with that about 50%. Okay. I think that it, the New England, uh, the Boston media is so aggressive in a good way. I mean, these are, it's a competitive market, and they're looking for stories, and they find a kernel of something and it explodes because otherwise it's a dull organization. We've heard about it all the time. Belichick really doesn't ever say anything. Uh, you get to talk to Tom Brady uh, rarely. Anytime he opens his mouth, it's news. So uh, the reporters there are, are forced to go off campus, for lack of a better phrase, to find their news. And so they start investigating every little corner. And I think there is something to... Uh, the Guerrero situation, you know, the, the, the trainer there, the, this mystic that Tom Brady sees, and so does Julian Edelman. And then Julian Edelman ends up with a suspension of four games for uh, PED usage. And so, yeah, there's a lot of that. But I'll say what is legit coming out of New England, because you can see it with your own eyes, everybody can, is the receivers there have been plagued by drops. And it's because you have different guys coming in, you know, Kenny Britt, they sign, you know, they go out and they get all these different guys at receiver, which is what they do every year. But with Julian Edelman, uh, he's going to be unavailable for those first four games. Even more scrutiny uh, on this receiving core, this transient group that Bill Belichick seems to pass through every couple of years, um, with the exception of Gronkowski. You know, he's always there and he's always the, the pillar uh, but Tom Brady's been super frustrated. He punted a ball into the stands during practice one day. He was so upset over his receivers dropping balls. Um, so Tom Brady and Bill Belichick, you're right. I think they're fine. This, you know, these these news stories that are going on are overblown about them. It's people just looking for something to talk about with the New England Patriots and Tom Brady. But where you need to look too is. He can't do it himself, as Giselle Bundchen once famously said. He can't catch the ball too. So let's uh, let's see if uh, if they're able to recover without having Julian Edelman, uh, and then beyond that also. 
Tim, thanks so much for taking the time. I'm glad the uh, the churning of the butter kept the cell phone going in Amish country. So, <laughs> and enjoy the start of the season. We're only a few weeks away. I, I'm I, you know can't wait for the, the real stuff to get here, and it's going to be a great year. You got lots to talk about, and it should be fun. So, thanks for taking the time with me. I look forward to talking with you more. It's starting to heat up. I'm excited about it. So thanks for having me on. Have a great weekend. Tim Graham, from senior NFL writer from The Athletic Buffalo. By Tim Graham on Twitter. That's at by Tim Graham on Twitter. On the other side, we're going to jump into our poll question. What does the TSN Radio Universe think? How many wins will Tiger Woods have between now and next year's Masters? One, two or more, or none? That was the poll question. We'll jump into it next. See what you think about Tiger's future in the next few months before we get to next year's first major. This is Toronto Today. Now, back to Toronto Today. Oh, yeah. I love the wrestling themes coming in today, guys. Pumping me up. It is SummerSlam Sunday night. Biggest event of the summer. We will cover that, preview that with Wade Keller from PW Torch. He'll be coming up next. We're still going to do a little golf talk first, though, before we get to SummerSlam. Because the Wyndham Championship is going on, and David Hearn is posted now 64-67, and is in a tie for third at the moment through 36 holes. And this is important. Why? Because it now projects Hearn all the way up to 122 on the FedEx Cup points list, which means that he would get inside the 125 and regain his full status on the PGA Tour and head to the FedEx Cup playoffs. More good news. Corey Connors and Nick Taylor, who are just starting their second round, currently projected at 124 and 125. So we would add three Canadians to the PGA Tour to join Adam Hadwin, who's already there. And this is even before we get to the Web.com Tour final. So this is good news right now, early out of the Wyndham Championship for Team Canada. We'll be on this all morning on Golf Talk Canada tomorrow. Heavy Canadian content as our boys make a push for the playoffs. All right, let's bring in Joe. Joe, we had a Twitter poll, Twitter question it was. Everybody's going tiger nuts right now. He had a chance to win the last two majors of the season. Brilliant Sunday at the PGA Championship. My favorite quote from four days at the PGA Championship was Nick Faldo. Tiger Woods just shot 64 from, a, from, from places that every other player in the field would have shot 74. It was so exciting on Sunday. You were talking about it a little bit with me today before the show started. These sling hooks and cuts from Harry lies in the rough to 15 feet and he knocks the birdie and it was great. So our Twitter poll question was, between now and the Masters next year, how many tournaments will Tiger Woods win? One, two or more or none. What is the TSN 1050 universe saying right now, Joe? None at 44%. Wow. Yeah. So at in second, 38% is once. And at 18%, it's two or more. And I voted two or more, actually. Okay. So give me your reasoning on two or more. And I, like, let me framework this because people got to understand between now and Augusta, Going to play somewhere around probably eight or nine events. He's going to play at least two playoff events, if not three. Okay, I doubt he'll play all four. He'll probably skip BMW, and then hopefully that's enough to get him in the Tour Championship. He'll make that call when the time comes. So let's call three playoff events. He's going to play something in the Fall Series, maybe somewhere in the Napa Valley, I'm guessing, maybe that event. 
He'll play his Hero World Challenge. That's five. You might see him go to the desert in Abu Dhabi or Dubai or something like that. Maybe. That's that's a bit of an outlier. We're not too sure on that one yet, but that would be six. Torrey Pines is seven. One more on the West Coast would be Riviera because his foundation is now attached to Riviera at the, at the, at the tournament in Los Angeles. That's eight starts. And then you're going to have at least one, if not two, in the Florida Swing. So it, we could see as many as 10 starts for Tiger between now and Augusta. So is is that the reason that you've gone with two or more because you think there's one coming soon and it's just inevitable with that many tournaments in front of him? Yeah, I think so. And looking at when Tiger was on his game and he was one of the best in the world, he get a lot of invites to Asia and he get invites to Dubai and in the European tour. And a lot of the times they would slide him in and fit him into schedules there and he'd get a purse for just showing up. So if he ends up going that route and he ends up playing in Europe a little bit, to your point, I think in Europe, and this isn't downplaying the type of talent and skill there is on the European tour, I just think Tiger has a better chance if he's playing over there because the quality that he feels like he's going toe-to-toe against is maybe 6 to 15 players deep instead of you know 50 to 60 players deep like he is at the PGA level. I think you're 100% right on this, and I don't even think it's just a European tour. I think you've hit on the fact that he's going to see some weaker fields from November to Fe- from November 1st, uh, maybe even mid-October to February 1st. He has the potential to play in some events where there might be some weaker fields. Like you mentioned, in Europe, at in, the, in their Desert Series, his own Hero World Challenge, there's only 18 other guys he's got to compete against in that. And if he plays something in the fall on the... PGA Tour and shows up in Napa or shows up at the RSM Classic or play something like that. Certainly a watered-down field for PGA Tour standards. So not only is he going to have a lot of starts, you're right. He could play three or four times against fields that, to Tiger standards, the places he's been playing are the best of the best. That's not the case this winter. And not to mention, to your point, in the wraparound tour, like when when they still had the fall, uh, the fall season, the guys I would picture, like, if you say fall season wraparound tour, I think Smiley Kaufman. Like, right. I just think the players that end up getting those one, one-offs where the field is very limited, it's very soft. Most of the players that have a lot of talent and skill are in the race to Dubai because they have a way of transferring over because of their points and the money they've won. And you do also play weaker courses. And I think that's the one thing we've seen with Tiger. If his driver is a bit of an issue... Usually the courses that, even in Europe, you have a bit of wider fairways, you have a little bit more leeway and freedom with your second shot because you can't have massive trees everywhere in Dubai. It's just not the way they're built. And he has an opportunity to start rounding out his game in a situation where there's less pressure, easier fields, and I also think much more Tiger-friendly courses off the tee. Yeah. And that's why I think two... I think two is the number. I don't think or more. Right. You I think, think you like two. As yeah. You, you know, if our program director, Jeff McDonald's listening right now, he is screaming at the Radio 5. Five wins. Seven or seven, seven plus. <laughs> he is screaming seven plus. I love it. That's a good point. You know, we don't talk about that as much. We talk about, you know, what he's done. But the fact is, Tiger has played in some very difficult fields in some very difficult golf courses, and you bring up a good point uh, that some softer golf courses with some flexibility off the tee, man. Like, think of where he's played. Majors, qualified for a World Golf Championship event. Like, 
man, the lot, well, like even the Valspar, where he had a chance to win in Florida, Copperhead is one of the hardest golf courses on the PGA Tour. You look at the winning scores at Copperhead every year on the PGA Tour. It's between eight under par and twelve under par. Twenty under doesn't win at Copperhead. And the Snake Pit is one of the most underrated corners in golf. A lot of yes. people just look past it because it's a tournament early on in the season. I it doesn't agree. really intimidate a lot of people because there's not much behind the tournament. But I had the chance of walking that course and following Brooks Kepka a couple years ago there on a practice round. And the Snake Pit is nothing to be joking around with. It's a very tough course, tree-lined, very heavy. It's not easy. And he showed up to a lot of venues where you thought Tiger could struggle, and he didn't. And I think the quote that kind of stuck out with me after Tiger Woods won was, sorry, Tiger Woods played well in the PGA, was Justin Thomas saying, this was the first time I've fully gotten the understanding and appreciated the Tiger roar. He goes, I've heard it. But I've never heard it to this level. This is what people told me about. This is what I grew up watching. Yeah. And again, with a weaker field and playing in Europe, those roars might be a lot more intimidating to gentlemen there that haven't played with Tiger Woods or haven't seen this type of domination and this type of fan intrigue for about almost 10 years. All right. uh, Speaking of fan intrigue and roars and excitement... Before we go to break here, Joe, and we get to the other side with Wade Keller and talk a little SummerSlam, you're playing in your first ever club championship this weekend. So you want to talk about roars and excitement, you got to be pumped. There you go. There they are. They can't wait for you to peg it up in your club champion. The CCs this week. Was it two rounds, one round? What, it's two rounds. Okay. Uh, pure, uh, pure stroke play. Um how are you feeling about the game right now? I'm actually feeling okay about the game. The driver could be a little bit better, but that's my that's the club I cannot hit. My iron game has been good. My wedge game is getting there. Um, I'm a little bit of an impatient putter, but I might slow it down a little bit when it matters a bit more. So it should be okay. I've played the course about 50 times. It still kicks me in the butt, but we'll see what happens. So can we get an update on this? Can you give us a, a round-for-round breakdown on Monday on Toronto today? Absolutely. Perfect. I will, I'll give you a round-for-round breakdown. Steve, our board operator, Steve Eliopoulos, says he's going to follow me around the course with a fake headset on, <laughs> ask me a bunch of questions down the fairway, <laughs> and no one's going to be yelling, light the candle. People are going to be yelling four after every shot I hit, but it uh, should be alright. Mashed potatoes. Mashed potatoes. Alright. I'm looking forward to the recap. Have fun. That's the most important thing. Have fun, because yesterday I played in my member guest at the Toronto Hunt. And we had to play three nine-hole matches. And by the third match, I was putting with my driver. That's how bad my putting is. I was putting with my driver and putting well with my driver. So this game is insane and will lead you to scary, dark places. Now, on the other side, I get to do a little selfish uh, time here on Toronto today. Because when I was asked to, to jump in today and host Toronto today, I said, can I talk about anything I want? Yeah. Can I talk about wrestling? Yeah. And considering Andy McNamara, who hosts this show on the regular has had his summer of wrestling, right? He had Kane on last week, and he loves his wrestling. Scott MacArthur loves his wrestling. We have, like, an underground wrestling crew here at TSN 1050. But I'm going to get right out there on the top of the mountain and yell it because Wade Keller from PW Torch newsletter, pwtorch.com, he's a member of the National Wrestling Hall of Fame. He's one of the best in the business. He's coming on next. We're going to preview SummerSlam, and I'm going to ask him, why I am being forced to have to watch Brock Lesnar and Roman Reigns again. And the worst part about it, I probably have to sit through seven hours of pay-per-view. By the time I get to a main event, I don't care about. This is insane. This is what happens when there's no competition, people. This is what happens. The world is built on competition. We're going to get into the next. I'm Mark Zucchino. This is Toronto Today. 
The Beast. The Beast incarnate. Walking into SummerSlam Sunday night. Universal title over his shoulder. I love Lesnar. How can you not like Brock Lesnar? Okay? I love the character Brock Lesnar. I love the athleticism Brock Lesnar. Looking forward to SummerSlam. Although, I've got some issues with it. We're waiting. uh, Wade Keller from PW Torch going to join us momentarily. And we're going to jump into SummerSlam. Mark Zucchino with you as we wind down Toronto today. And who's coming up next, guys? Is Scotty Mack? Is he here with us? Is he on holidays? Andy Mack in for the Scott MacArthur Show. So that's coming up here at 1 o'clock. So we'll be handing it off to Andy. Andy, also a big wrestling fan. So I know Andy will be watching SummerSlam on Sunday night. I don't know if I can get through the whole thing, though. Man, I don't know. What is going on with these seven-hour shows? If you jump into the pregame and the early matches, etc. I don't know. But should be fun to watch. It's SummerSlam. It's the biggest event of the summer if you're a wrestling fan at all, regardless of how you feel about the main event. And uh, joining us now to break down what is the biggest event of the summer from PW Torch, pwtorch.com, also the host of the Wade Keller, Wade Keller Pro Wrestling Podcast as well, a member of the National Wrestling Hall of Fame, Wade Keller, jumping in with me here on Toronto Day. Wade, thanks for doing this with me. I'm the golf guy here at TSN. I make my living covering golf, but my passion is pro wrestling. So I've been looking forward to this conversation all day. Uh, that's fantastic. I, I can't think of two sports more opposite. <laughs> that's right, right? Sports okay. and quotes. Or golf, I mean. <laughs> Wade, I got to start here with a complaint. I'm sorry. I got to Go start it. on the negative. Why? Why do I have to sit through what could be close to seven hours of SummerSlam coverage to get to a main event that I've seen already three or four times that I don't care about and I'm getting this jam down my throat? Or do they have something so crazy up their sleeve with the finish that I'll be eating my words Monday morning? They are not marketing to you. They are marketing to people who want a tall, handsome, leading man to be their hero for kids and women. And they think you will watch anyway because of Seth Rollins and Samoa Joe and AJ Styles and, and that. So they, I think they're making a calculated gamble with Roman Reigns that, that they wish wasn't a gamble. They wish everybody loved him. But they're making a calculated gamble, and it's a little bit of stubbornness on Vince McMahon's part, that they can have their cake and eat it too, that they can present Roman Reigns, win over some of the fans who, for various reasons, aren't his biggest fan and actually would not watch WWE if it was only him. And they're gambling that they'll win some of you over and that they will ultimately not lose you because there's so many other things about WWE that you like. And I get that angle, and I get that point of view. And I understand that people consume content differently today. This is not 1998 and the Monday Night Wars, and we're all watching you know, cable television on a Monday night. I get that. But at the end of the day, are the numbers not telling them the opposite? Are the numbers not screaming that this path doesn't work? I don't think that they have numbers that are clear that Roman Reigns is a mistake. Because in order to say that pushing Roman Reigns at the very top is a mistake, they would have to be paying a price somehow that, that, that was tangible, that, that was verifiable. 
And if house show attendance is down a little bit, they can look at other reasons. I mean, they, you know, they can look at other numbers. But where would they be if Roman Reigns were not the headliner and they put the energy and effort and TV time and focus on someone else? Had they done that a little over two years ago when Seth Rollins came back from his injury, would Seth be popular with everybody and bigger than Roman and drawing a couple thousand extra people at house shows? Maybe, but we don't know. That's a, and, and that's what keeps anyone who's a critic of Roman's push from being able to gain traction with Vince McMahon, because Vince McMahon's belief is having people who look like Roman Reigns, and he looks great for that part, help him get TV deals, help him get sponsors, helps define pro wrestling as having a leading man who looks like he could be on a movie poster for any, uh, for, for any big-budget action thriller movie. And that, to him, is an intangible benefit, plus... It's Vince McMahon's historical instinct in nature to look for a Hulk Hogan-type hero. And that's what he's always looking for. When, when Bret Hart and Shawn Michaels were his top guys, he kept looking to Lex Luger and Sid, hoping they would be better. And they weren't, and he pulled the plug and went elsewhere. He did not pull the plug on John Cena. Obviously, he didn't on Stone Cold Steve Austin and The Rock. Now, with Roman Reigns, it's, you know, I think he's probably teetered. But I think at, at this point, he is fully committed to seeing this through. And, and, I, and I think Roman Reigns, I think, I don't know, he will be Universal Champion for quite a while after Sunday. All right, got to throw one more thing at you before we leave the main event, because it's a big card and there's some interesting stuff going on. Look, really looking forward to Daniel Bryan and The Miz. I think that that's a, was an intriguing storyline, and The Miz might be the best heel right now in professional wrestling, potentially, at least in my opinion. I just like love watching his work. You could drop him in, in the heyday of the Monday Night Wars, and he'd still fit in, and, and I think that says a lot for his heel work. But before I get there... UFC and WWE, there's been a lot of crossover lately in the last year or so, more so than we've ever seen before, almost like they would ignore and avoid each other in the past. And I'm starting to see, you know, obviously Ronda Rousey and her introduction at WrestleMania a few years ago, and now she's part of the company. Brock Lesnar showing up at a UFC event, walking into the octagon and making his presence. Is there any chance that Dana White and Vince McMahon have had a conversation and that come Sunday night, we're all going to be surprised? And Brock Lesnar is going to walk out there, walk out of SummerSlam with the Universal title and walk into a UFC match with the Universal title over his shoulder. I, I, I wouldn't rule it out. I mean, I wouldn't rule it out. Dana laughed off the question after the last UFC um, when Lesnar showed up after the last pay-per-view. Kind of laughed it off and just said, you know, he doesn't need to talk to Vince McMahon. Nobody needs to get his permission to do anything. And laughed it off. But they could have talked before then. And this might be shocking to say, but Dana might have been lying. <laughs> um, so, so there, there's a chance of that happening. I, I would really question the wisdom of that decision. I, I think what WWE has done the last month or two is create such a high expectation that the Universal title will, will be back on Raw and defended on a regular basis. And I think fans would project or redirect the heat on Lesnar having the Universal title and not defending it they would put that on Vince McMahon. I mean, I think it would, I think it would, there'd be a, the, the blow, the blowback would go on WWE, not Lesnar. And, and I think fans would resent the idea that now the, the supposed top title, certainly the top title on Raw, 
is not around, and they've, they've, they've drawn so much attention to that now, where for a while, for a long time during Lesnar's reigns, they didn't talk about the infrequent title defenses, and now they talk about it a lot. And so I just think they've set themselves up for disaster. I don't think Lesnar carrying universal title to the octagon for a, a title match means anything to WWE at this point. I think WWE is established in pop culture. MMA fans and WWE fans are at peace with what they are and how they relate to each other. I think, you know, eight years ago, maybe that means something for WWE. Now I just I don't think it's worth the risk. I don't think it's worth the trade-off. We're with Wade Keller, PW Torch, PW Torch newsletter, also the host of the Wade Keller Pro Wrestling Podcast. You can follow him on Twitter at the Wade Keller. Uh, Wade, big card, long pay per view. Uh, people are going to have to uh, really work hard. Just a lot of fans to stay engaged with uh, these long, yeah. deep pay per views. What's the match that stands out for for you? What are you excited about? What are going to be the highlights for me? Again, it's Daniel Bryan, the Miz. I just find this story intriguing, and 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 the work from both those guys. What are you looking forward to in this card? From the position of, of an analyst who writes and podcasts about pro wrestling, Brock Lesnar and Roman Reigns is, is right there. Because I, I really am curious about the money in the bank possibility, the Paul Heyman possibility. Um, does Lesnar not want to do much at all and risk injury? Or does he want to go out, quote, go out with a bang and have like this just killer 14-minute match that helps put Reigns over? I doubt that's going to happen. So that intrigues me. But Miz and Daniel Bryan is, I, I think Seth Rollins and Dolph Ziggler is likely to be the best match on the show. From a pure just adrenaline rush athleticism standpoint, I'm looking forward to seeing those two go without the Iron Man stiff, which, which I think worked against the momentum of their last match. I also think AJ Styles and Mojo has a chance to be great and the best on the show. I'm a little worried about whether they're going to live up to expectations, and, and I think that there's a chance they won't. But I do look to Miz and Daniel Bryan. It's really intriguing. I, I think Miz might be on a path to being a top Babyface on on Raw or SmackDown, a top hero, a top leading man on uh, on either Raw or SmackDown, like a top one or two or three babyface. I don't know if that's three years away or less than a year away, but there's a chance we see us we see Miz and Brian go at it, get out their their, their anger and frustration and issues with each other. But Miz ends up having like this really good competitive match, and Daniel Bryan, which is sort of a little raise of an eyebrow, a little tilt of a head, can look at Miz and go, "You're not." so bad. You're not what I said you were. And I think fans have such a respect for watching Miz on his journey all this time that fans would buy in. If, if Daniel Bryan gave Miz a little endorsement, I could see those two being a new odd couple tag team who have mutual respect after fighting out their differences. So I don't, I don't know that that's going to happen, but I'm, I'm looking for that as a possibility of something that they... That's one of the stories that maybe they tell in this match. The other is it's just a knockdown, drag out fight, and it's the best match. It's the best match Miz has ever had, and Daniel Bryan shows he's the best in the business because he elevates Miz from you know that three and a half star, not a half star more, not a half star less type guy um, to, uh, to to having a match that is in contention for best of the night. And we saw that that can happen with WrestleMania and the Ronda Rousey match. Sometimes an unexpected match steals the show. Uh, Wade, before I let you go, how would you book the match uh, final, the main event? We only have about a minute left, but if you were booking the show, you were booking that main event, so much on the line really on that main event, how would you book that? What's, what's a perfect booking outcome for you on that? Boy, I don't know that there is. A, I, I, I'm, not, I'm not punting on it, and I'll be quick, but I don't think there's a perfect outcome because I don't love any of the scenarios because I think no matter what they do, there's a problem with what they're left with. Um, if Braun Strowman cashes in Money in the Bank, I- I'm not sure Braun. I- I'm not sure about Braun being the guy holding the title, and I don't know who chases him next. If uh, if Reigns, 
I think my, my choice would be give Reigns the win, give him the title, and let's just let Vince McMahon get it out of his system. Like, I, just think, <laughs> I love that. Just, I do. I mean, just I just get this let, over with. Yeah, like have a have a four minute match. Have Reigns win decisively. No shenanigans. Paul Heyman is upset. Reigns wins, and then boom, everybody gets to look forward to September. Roman Reigns defending the Universal Title as the babyface everybody loves against Baron Corbin. I don't know. <laughs> I just want them to get it out of their system. I don't want any more hedging. I want to know for sure this is either going to work or not work with no hedging. Give Reigns the win decisively over Lesnar, let's listen to the crowd reaction, and let's move on. And, uh, I mean, I, 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 don't, I don't know what else there is. I mean, they could beat each other up and both get suspended, and then the IC title gets elevated to world title. I don't know. I mean, that would be good. I think fans would like that. Wade, where do we get the podcast, and how do we get it? Yeah, search Wade Keller um, anywhere. iHeart, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher. And uh, we're on four days a week. There's a blue logo and a red logo. Subscribe to both because there's two pairs of shows per week on different feeds. Um, and uh, visit the website pwtorch.com for coverage of NXT TakeOver and SummerSlam this weekend. And it's been a blast talking to you. Yeah, you know, i got to start a wrestling segment on my golf show so we can have this conversation again because I could have gone an hour with you on this stuff. Uh, we barely scratched the surface, Wade. Tell me about it. I podcast like 12 hours a week, so um, I know the feeling. <laughs> it, it, it's always fun, though. Lots of fun. Enjoy SummerSlam. Thanks for taking your time. Have a great weekend, Wade. Thanks, Mark. Appreciate it. Wade Keller at the Wade Keller. There. Guys, what do you think? You think I'm on my way to Raw maybe now? Am I, am I on my Joe, am I on my way to Raw? Uh, Joe's just busy. I give him the thumbs up, though, from behind the glass. I'm on my way to Raw. Andy McNamara, he'd be up with me sitting on the desk at Raw. He's going to be sitting behind this desk, behind this screen, sitting in for Scott MacArthur, Scotty Mack, not in. So Andy McNamara will be doing the Scotty Mack show. I could see like me doing the Jim Ross thing, Andy McNamara doing the Jerry the King Lawler thing. And we just covering raw. It could be. We need to talk about this Andy off era. This this could be good. This could be a, a, a new avenue for us. I drop the golf. You drop the football, and we just do wrestling. Finally, chase our passions in life. This is, other stuff is nonsense. I'm back with you on Monday. I'm going to try on Monday not to talk about SummerSlam, although we will break down the club championships for Joe. So Joe will walk us through his club championship money, so you have that to look forward to. We were all talking about there's like not a lot going on in the world of sports. Forget it. Joe's playing in the club championship. That's, that's the biggest news right now in this station, and we will break that down Monday. I'm Mark Skeel. Follow me on Twitter, at ZmanTSNGTC. It's at ZmanTSNGTC on Twitter. Also, at Golf Talk Canada, the show handle. I'm back tomorrow morning with Bob Weeks, 8 a.m. Eastern, right here on TSN 1050 for Golf Talk Canada. Andy McNamara next. Thank you so much for listening to Toronto Today.